Well, I'm not quite sure how to introduce you to this next story. I mean, it's about royal families, but really it's about kind of fairy tales. You know, the stories we loved as children have a lot to do with how royal families tell the stories of their origin and how those stories develop. I know, it sounds interesting. We're going to get our guest to explain it all to us. It's Johnny Thompson, who's a professor of philosophy at Oxford University and the author of Mini Philosophy, A Small Book of Big Ideas. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me on. Thank you. So we're talking about royal families here. Do they all have kind of a, a story of their origin that they'd like to tell? Uh, most of them would, yeah. Um, I think today they incline to do so less, but definitely historically there was um, a really important reason to do so, and that's really to establish um, legitimacy. Um, because essentially we, we're so used today to um, having our democracy and our kind of like rational uh, legal uh, justification for having an authority that we kind of forget that monarchies are actually quite a strange idea that you you, you invest all of your kind of uh, sovereignty in one person and you assume that they have legitimate reason to be there so what these monarchies needed to do that they, they needed to establish themselves as being legitimate um, so it's like PR so if, if, they were they realized yeah, the importance well, yeah. of PR way back when what well, absolutely that. Exactly. So um, the sociologist called Max Weber, he um, essentially said that there are three ways in which you can establish yourself as being a legitimate author authority. Uh, the first is what we have today, which is called the rational political uh, way, which is like democratic uh, voting for someone. Then you have a charismatic authority, which is uh, uh, one person who and has, attracts lots of followers from their from their own personality. But then, of course, that's a bit fragile because when that person dies, then uh, it can be uh, the, the regime is then kind of thrown open. And then the third way is, is called traditional, um, which is what you do, which is what you're seeing with myths and legends, really. So uh, every uh, revolutionary leader or every revolution needs to really establish themselves, for example, as being uh, some kind of uh, kind of return to the past or some kind of like uh, tradition. But actually, so see it with, listening to you talk about that, Johnny, makes me think that we do that with every leader. We do that even with any mm -hmm. democratically elected leader, is that we tell ourselves a story about their origin or their background because we're creating that. Well, absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, so if you think about revolutions, of course, one of the one of the more successful, one of the most successful revolutions in history was the American Revolution, um, and the reason why that didn't deteriorate into such kind of a bloodbath like like the French did or a lot of other revolutions since is because really of of of, of George Washington. Because, I mean, you have in Washington a very charismatic leader, and essentially the whole revolution focused around him. And I think arguably one of Washington's greatest moments was when actually he had the uh, the peaceful transition of power to John Adams at the first election. Um, and that was the first moment, really, where he kind of uh, yeah, said that this is going to be a rational political system rather than a traditional system, which is what the uh, British political system was based on uh, with, with, with monarchies, really. Um, but, yeah, you, you see this all the time. You even see it, in, it with, with Hitler and the Nazis, actually, because um, Hitler referred to himself as, as the Third Reich and the Nazis are the Third Reich. And a Reich is an empire. It's a German empire. So when Hitler said that we are the Third Reich, what he was doing was saying that we go back to the First Reich, which was in... 1800s and then the second reich which was the german empire in the late 19th century and then it all kind of culminates and kind of reaches its peak with with hitler so he, he, you know he, he was aware as as all revolutionaries are really that they need to establish themselves as being um just and legitimate right maybe yeah. not just revolutionaries though but as you say but dictators authoritarian anybody who wants to seize power has to tell a story whether they do that through you know coercion or whether they do it through democratically elected means they want to tell a story about themselves 
Oh, absolutely, yeah. And so, I mean, so, so what my work was on, what my article was about, was was the the historic examples of this. And um, so, obviously, I'm, I'm, well, obviously, I'm, I'm British, and one of the uh, biggest stories over here is the story of King Arthur. And that goes back to William the Conqueror, who was this essentially an invader. Uh, he was a Norman, Norman French, and he came over to uh, Saxon Britain and he he beat them. He beat he beat them and he established himself as king. And of course, you know, all of the Saxons, just because they were beaten in, the, in a few fights, didn't immediately accept this this French man as being as being the king. So what he needed to do was establish himself as some kind of like historic kind of savior figure. And so he developed this idea that, well, he got his PR team, as you mentioned, to kind of like go out and say, look, I am the return of King Arthur. I can trace my, my lineage back to King Arthur, who was his ancient Briton. Um, and so I have a right to be here. If anything, I am helping you overthrow the Saxons who were themselves invaders. So um, the interesting story about King Arthur, actually, is that it, it, not only the British claim him. So um, Charlemagne and uh, kind of El Cid are examples in France and Spain, but uh, there are stories in France and in Brittany particularly, and, and a lot of German kings also trace themselves back to Arthur, um, who's definitely this, this legendary figure of the past, but yet comes with this kind of authority. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. So what are some of your other favorite examples of this historically? Yeah. Well, good. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so the other um, stories are the Queen of Sheba is an interesting story. So in the Bible that we have, we introduced this, this kingdom of Sheba, who was meant to be this very rich and kind of um, affluent and kind of slightly decadent, decadent civilization. And um, what you have is uh, the Queen of Sheba apparently goes to visit Solomon in, in somewhere in the southern Arabian Peninsula, we think. And uh, she, she comes back pregnant so it was um hmm. obviously quite an exciting visit um <laughs> and and um she then gives birth to uh the first king of the of, of the sheba line which is probably modern day nigeria called menelik the first and um he apparently had brought back the ark of the covenant which is meant you know this is great holy relic from the from the old testament um and christianity and judaism as well so yeah so according to the, the lines of nigeria the nigerian royal family trace himself back to a uh an exciting night between the Queen of Sheba and King Solomon. Um, so that, that was a fun one. Um, <laughs> other fun one was <laughs> was from uh, from Poland. Um, so in the, there's a Polish story with there, there was this, there was this evil tyrannical leader called uh, Popiel, um, who kind of like you know preyed on his villagers and was your general kind of like uh, Alan Rickman figure from uh, Robin Hood. Um, and then so all of the villagers they could, they couldn't take him on because he's a king in his castle with all these kind of like you know these square jawed mercenaries um and so what they did was they prayed um to the gods or to god sorry i should say as christian and they um god brought some homicidal mice or regicidal mice <laughs> yeah well that's it so uh, lots of mice um basically descended upon the castle they kind of the guard tried to kill them and every time they sliced a mice and a mouse in half it kind of like it became two two mice and eventually they worked their way up to this leader and they, they nibbled him to death and so um that's quite a, a story nice to go. that's crazy a story. yeah um, but luckily for the polish though um piast the wheelwright was down the road um who was a general all-round good guy a very humble man um and he he hosted two wizards who had just happened to be wandering around the area as you do find in these kind of stories and he gave them his his humble provisions and gave them a, like a meager food of bread and a bit of water and they, they were so impressed by his um his, his offering that they basically overflew his um, cellar with with bounty and stuff. And then P.S. then became the king. So this is this great story of kind of an overthrow of this evil, rich, ty tyrannical leader with this kind of a humble wheelwright called um, P.S. Yeah, which is another wow. yeah, interesting story. It's really all about keeping and consolidating power, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. So... Um, I never, so Despite the, the lineage, I, I was thinking as well, too, like if you mm. look at the monarchy in Russia... 
Um, mm. You know, around the time of Catherine the Great, there was yeah. some question as to whether the lineage actually continued, but you got to tell that story so people think it does continue. Well, absolutely. And uh, so what you have actually with, with anyone who wants to overthrow the monarchy from the 15th, 16th century onwards is, is something called the divine right of kings to, to, to play with as well. And this is the idea, which goes back to that Polish story in a way, that um, the kings are put there by God himself. And of course, if you're therefore challenging the king or the queen of, of that country, you are in a way taking on God, which you know, no one in a, in a very religious age wants to do. Um, and this was a big problem again in, in talking about England was, was with Oliver Cromwell when he overthrew uh, Charles I. Um, there was this big thing at the time, you, you, you don't overthrow the, the, the king because he is there put there by God. Right. Um, so the way Cromwell uh, kind of sold that really to everyone was that he himself was a Puritan. He was the true kind of Protestant, whereas Charles I was not unfairly, uh, you know, had very Catholic sympathies. So he, he billed it as being a, you know, true Christianity versus false papist um, Christianity. Got to tell the story. Um, You've got to tell the story. And uh, going back to the charismatic leader, though, I mean, the, the English Revolution really collapsed after Cromwell's death, really. Um, I mean, there, was, there were, there were to hopes and attempts to put Cromwell's son as, as a kind of like a, a, monarch, a new monarchy on the throne, but it didn't last. And so Charles II was um, put back on the throne as um, in the Restoration. But, Almost like a yeah. lesson that you think George Washington learned, right, a couple of hundred years later. Um, Johnny, thank you so yeah. much for your time on that this morning. No, thank you for having me again and uh, have a great day.